Relationship building has always been a key ingredient to becoming the trusted partner to your most important customers. And an age-old question is whether a salesperson needs to be naturally good at it or whether relationship and rapport building is a skill that can be taught. Today's guest on Camcast is master NLP trainer, performance coach and equine learning specialist Lisa Bryce and she'll be sharing with me her insights in how we can fine-tune our rapport building across digital platforms, the role that our core beliefs play in generating success in sales and the importance of coaching to maximise performance. In our continual pursuit of sales success with our key customers, it really is all about identifying the difference that makes the difference. Welcome to Camcast. I'm your host, David Ventura, a key account management consultant at camguru.com. In this podcast, we explore the strategies, systems, and skills you need for effective key account management. We talk to expert guests and business leaders, sharing the tips, tactics, and techniques for looking after your most important customers. This is Key Account Management Made Easy. So Lisa, thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of Camcast. For those people at home right now listening, thinking, I've heard NLP as a a thing before and I don't really understand what it is. Give us a quick overview of what NLP is all about. So welcome and um, thanks for the opportunity to um, talk to you today, David. NLP has been one of my passions for the last mm, 26, 27 years, something like that. And it's got a a really not great title, really, because it stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. And most people listen to that and go, pardon what? (laughs) And so what what it really is about is how we think, what we say, and what we actually do. And it taps into neuroscience, it taps into linguistics, it looks at processing, and it's based on a a principle of modeling, copying what works. So it's how you learn to speak your native tongue. It's how you learn to hold a knife and fork. It's how you learn to run a successful business or deliver a podcast series. You copy what what works. And the clever piece about NLP is that it's got a real structured methodology for for doing that. And it's there to uncover the unconscious as well as conscious pieces of a process. So we're looking at the study of the structure of, of an experience and we're searching for what's the difference that makes a difference. So say somebody was going running and they wanted to compete in a in a competition. Their success, one of the things that might make the difference between somebody who's really successful and somebody who isn't, might be the quality of the self-talk when they start getting pain and they start aching and they start feeling tired. Somebody might be saying, oh, God, I'm really tired and this isn't really working for me. I think I'm going to have to stop. And maybe somebody who's really successful with the runners going, pain's great. This just means that I can push through harder. I know that I can make a really good job of this. Equally, it could be, if we're looking at a sales process, it could just be moving a trial close further up the actual process rather than waiting to the end of the sales process. We actually just stepped it forward. So we're with NLP, we're always looking for, well, what's the difference that makes the difference? Nice, nice. And actually, if we think about sales and account management teams, you say, um, mm. it, 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 we're in constant pursuit or should be in constant pursuit of finding those little tweaks that set us 
apart from our competition and not just sort of the same as them standing up to them uh, mm. and, and, and doing everything in the same way. So, so I guess, you know, here we are in this brave new world. And for most people, yes. uh, this is a really <laughs> odd time of building these relationships and building rapport and all of the modeling that perhaps they've done and all of the people they perhaps learned from. Um, it's it's a little out of date now. Um, you know, they're not no longer driving up the M1 or the M6 to go and see their customers and sitting in a boardroom and doing that rapport build across the table as they normally would. Uh, they're now doing what we're doing now. They're having Zoom calls uh, and phone calls. And of course, uh, the worst of all, the bunch, just an email uh, where you've only really got the words on, on the screen. Um, what would your sort of advice be around, you know, how do people go about creating the rapport, creating personal relationships in what is essentially a very impersonal environment? I think it's a really great question, that, David, and one that I think is on the tip of a lot of the tongues of successful business people. Um, how do we get that connection and that rapport, build that trust, and do it in perhaps with people that we've never met? I've heard of people being recruited, had their induction, started in a new business, new, doing a new job. They've never actually met anybody face to face. And so I was initially kind of a little bit sceptical and a little bit cynical about how this was possible to do to such a great extent. And yet when we look at the neuroscience and we kind of pause and stop for a moment, it is possible to unpick what the structure is to build really good rapport with somebody and so taking the time to stop to pause to get yourself into a a state of being really present so you've parked all of the stuff that's just happened and you're not thinking about what you're rushing off to next in your next zoom meeting and you actually just really stop and pause and connect with the other person and then for me it's about using the kind of four pillars of NLP, one of which is rapport, which we're talking about, but to think about, well, what's your outcome? What's their outcome? What might be a win-win? And so really taking the time to go, well, what, you know, what's important for you to get out of this time? What's important for us to get out of our time? How can we make the, the best use of this time? Really honing in and using our sensory awareness, our sensory acuity, so that noticing what goes on not only externally with the other person and reading the subtleties of the non-verbals and equally just noticing internally what happens for us so there are ways of monitoring when you have got a connection with with somebody else and what internally happens for you and most people feel more relaxed somewhere in their body when they've got a real good sense of rapport with somebody and often it's in their stomach sometimes it'll be in their shoulders it might be that they feel they've got a, a clarity of head but finding out what it is for you that tells you when you've got that level of connection and then keep working at building the rapport, asking really good questions, taking a genuine interest in the other person until you feel like that about that person. And when you feel it, you've got an internal gauge of have I got that connection? Have I got that rapport? Mm. What we call it is a felt sense. Right. So there's a technical term, there's scientific research on it that tracks our heart rate variability and looks at um, peak performance states, a state called coherence. And ultimately, we know what that is within 
our own body when we feel that. And so it's just really using our emotional intelligence, our sensory awareness to calibrate when we've got that connection with, with somebody and fine tune that felt sense. Tune, so when one, you say fine tuning, I think that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. When, you, when you're talking about that, I'm imagining almost a, a guitar tuner and yeah. just playing with that until you get that bang on the note. And so what you're mm. saying is that there is some a, se- a felt sense of when you're in true rapport with someone else and it's about figuring out what you need to tweak and adjust until you hit that that right note. So, am I getting yeah. that right, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So it's having that internal sensory awareness so knowing what that state is for you, how that feels, how that gets represented for you and then flexing your behaviour and trying everything you've got in your... <laughs> <laughs> repertoire I suppose <laughs> to um, building rapport and connection and then you've got a way of calibrating when you've got that that felt sense and it's something that I work with horses using equine facilitated learning mm-hmm. and that connection that felt sense people get when they're connected to the horses really amplifies what that experience is And then you can take that into, well, when I'm in a meeting, face-to-face, when I'm on Zoom, when I'm on the telephone, potentially when you get an email from somebody, what are you actually picking up? So you're tapping into the whole of the wisdom of your body, not just your cognitive function. Yeah. So people that are brand new to this concept, Mm. because there is a sort of nature versus nurture thing for some people, and particularly in the the sales world, some people feel, I guess, that they're naturally in tune with how to build rapport and perhaps they are naturally in tune with their felt sense and they can't quite articulate it. Perhaps they're not quite sure how to explain it and yet it's there for them. And others will be thinking about this as a blank canvas. And we've just heard you talk about equine learning there. And, you know, some people will be thinking, well, that sounds great, but I haven't got a horse, uh, so I can't do that. And I wouldn't know where to start. I'd need someone like you to help me with that. Someone with a blank canvas listening to this today, thinking, well, what can I try first that Mm. will help me get to that felt sense? Or at least, you know, a couple of things I could tweak and play with to see if that helps with the rapport build. What would be your sort of go-to quick wins? So, for me, you could easily kind of start with start with the success piece. So pick somebody that you know that you've got really good rapport with, get onto a Zoom with them and just have a chat. And as you're having a chat with them, because you know that you've already got really good rapport, really good connection, just start to pay attention to what's going on in your body. What do you experience? A lot of busy salespeople, busy executives, particularly with the amount of pressure and stress and everything else that's going on in in the world, we often spend a lot of our time using our cognitive function, using our, our brain. Whereas we've actually got a heart intelligence, we've got a gut intelligence, the, the neuroscientists all agree that we've now got at least three kind of intelligences within our, our bodies. And so this is kind of getting into and tapping into the wisdom of our body and just paying attention to what we might notice. So start with somebody that you know, that you have got really good rapport with, that you get on really well with when you see them on Zoom, you smile, you know, do it with your best friend. And then just notice as you're talking, you'll find that you'll naturally match and mirror each other's body language. You'll maybe use the same tonality. You, you might laugh at the same time. 
you might find that you're using the same words or suddenly you've developed a different accent because that's the part of the country that they go from. Mm. All of these different ways of that we naturally match and mirror those people that we feel in rapport with. So start with somebody that you know you get on great with and then just notice, oh, hang on a minute, this is how I feel in my body when I'm talking to them. Then try it with someone else that you get on great, see if it's the same feeling. So this idea of the idea of replicating success is probably something that gets massively underlooked at in yeah. business and particularly in sales. It's it's saying, well, that actually went really well. Something either felt good about it or even better, we won some business because of it. Um, yeah. What happened? What did we do? What did we feel? What did we say? What did we do with our bodies and our language and our tone and and the words yeah. that we that we chose to use and 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 then mirroring that and like you say, kind of yeah. modelling it. Um, and it's this idea of of the feedback loop isn't always someone else giving you feedback. It's you maybe taking some time to reflect on what you did that worked well and you should continue to doing, and then perhaps what yeah. you did that could be tweaked or changed or tried differently next time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a whole process of positive psychology that is called success-based coaching, and it's paying attention to what works. And the more you pay attention to what works, the less room there is for error because you're just magnifying it. So you know, if you, if you haven't got enough sales, but you are getting on really well when you're calling the customers, focus on calling the customers. So pay attention to the things that are going really well. And then you've got a building block from those. And you end up with a virtuous circle rather than a vicious circle when you're paying attention to the things that aren't working. And then you start to lose your confidence. And then it's really easy not to make contact, to not make that call, to procrastinate. And we get into that kind of vicious circle with a lot of negative self-talk that can easily go on and destroy something. Whereas if we pay attention to the stuff that's really good and we replicate it we feel more confident and then we do more yeah so you, you said about you being slightly skeptical about how this would would work over things like Zoom uh, before, and I think it's fair to say I'm not saying anything you don't already know here. But you're a little bit of a self confessed technophobe sometimes, and yet here we are, and you've modelled yeah. what works on Zoom and what works on video, and that's been part of your journey throughout this last few months. Looking back on your own learning that can then be shared with others, when you think about face to face meetings now being the minority. What do you think we can do rapidly, quickly over a video platform or even even, you know, on, on phone, an email that, that would perhaps replace some of those natural things that we do in face to face environments? I think building in certainly my experience of running um, training programs has been to build in the informal times as well as the formal times. So having a coffee chat with a client is quite different than having a meeting. And so having those few moments where you're talking about personal things and you're sharing, I think there's something about you've almost got to share more of yourself. And and that's been quite interesting with just whether you choose to have a professional Zoom background and, and I got some really great ones made. And then the feedback came from all of my clients, oh, we just want to look at you in your training room and we want to see the beams and we're really nosy and we like looking and seeing what people have got on their pictures and on their walls and, and things like this. So I think 
I've known people do meetings where they've started with putting up like their favorite picture as a Zoom background. And then you've had a conversation about those. So I think there is, how do you get the informal into the formal? And I think that that, there are lots of clever different ways that I've heard of people doing doing different things. And I think it is really important to to build that in because otherwise it feels very transactional. And I think the people buy people. Yeah. I like the idea of of having uh, something for people to do, whether it be, you know, your favorite picture as you zoom background as a, as a talking point, or, you know, I've, I've seen sort of word cloud slides being used where people are actually mm. popping words on an interactive whiteboard to discuss. You're right. I think too often, I think one of the things that I'm seeing is that people will sit on mute in a room full of people until whoever's chairing it starts talking. Um, mm. And in the real world, that would be the time where you'd all be grabbing a coffee and having a bit more of a chat with people so i I like this concept Mm. of making sure that we do create the informal stuff and not just go with uh with a formal meeting agenda Mm. lisa when i when i first was introduced to nlp one of the early things that i learned and has stuck with me ever since is this idea of beliefs of excellence the idea that actually a belief doesn't need to be true or false. It just needs to work well for you. It needs to serve you well. And when we think of it like that, of course, then comes the question, well, what are the great beliefs that if you were to hold them as your own are going to serve you well in business? What What do you think? Uh, well, I suppose two questions. What do you think some of the most common limiting beliefs that you hear from sales and business teams uh, in your line of work? And what are some of the beliefs that that create excellence within the sales and account management world? I think that's a a really great question, David. And one of the things that over the last mm, 13 year plus years (laughs) of existing in a a sales world has taught me is that often it's the quality of the the self-talk that that we have. And our beliefs come to us as self-talk. 70% of them are formed by the time we're seven. 85% 85% by the time we're 18. And by the time we do anything about them, we're kind of, we've got 15% left to play with. And so we wander around the whole of our lives believing that we're not very good at maths or we're not very good at this because one teacher told us one day that, you know, we weren't very clever and we got some wrong. And then we kind of go on and, and live those out. And so for me, NLP calls these presuppositions. So they're not true. They are if we presuppose they were true, would it make a difference to the success of the outcome that we're trying to achieve? And as I said to you earlier, NLP is about modelling what works. And so a group of NLPers went and modelled for quite a few years successful business people to ascertain what it was that they believed about themselves, they believed about other people, they believed about what they were doing that supported them and enabled them to keep going, pick themselves up, dust themselves off when things didn't go great. And so there are, there are quite a few that I think are really, really useful to just explore in this context. Would it help me achieve whatever my, my outcome is? So for example, one of my favorite ones is that there's no failure, only feedback. So if something doesn't go right, 
do I then go, oh, I'm a failure. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to try and call that customer. They're not interested. It's not going to work. They don't like me. They don't like my product. It's too much money. And all those things that we make up that are total like, they, we just don't know if they're true. They're, you know, we've kind of distorted reality. Whereas if when something doesn't go the way that we want it, we just go, oh, well, that's information. That's feedback. It didn't work that time. How many other ways are there to achieve the result that I want? And so having that then sit with, there's a solution to every problem. So when it doesn't work, what else could I do? And then what else could I do? And then what else could I do? Um, and so the person with the greatest flexibility in thinking of behavior has the greatest influence. So if you can keep coming up with things to try, eventually you're going to get what you want. Yeah. And what often happens is that we run out of energy or ideas of how we're going to achieve our outcome. And we just kind of go, you know what? It's not worth it. Mm. And we give up. Whereas if we go, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to find a solution, I'm going to find a solution, this customer is going to buy this from me, it is right for them, then I think that that tenacity is one of the key things about sales. I had a, a sales boss in my early career, and he's probably one of the most, I would describe him as relentless. So he just keeps going. So he says, don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. Mm. Let's focus on what else could we do? There yeah. will be a solution to this. We haven't won this piece of business. What else are we going to do? How else are we going to get it? What mm. else do we need to, to do? And so that keeping going, I think, is, is really, really, really key. Mm. So if something isn't working, do something different. And I think the, the other piece is around, and there's a few different NLP beliefs of excellence that support this, is around having being able to take personal responsibility for things and not blame other people. So, for example, one of the beliefs is the meaning of the communication is in the effect. So that, my kind of understanding of that is that it's up to me to communicate in the way that the other person understands rather than expecting the other person to communicate the way that I want to communicate. So if somebody doesn't do something or doesn't respond in the way that I would expect, yeah. the first thing I do is look at myself and go, hmm, isn't it interesting how they chose to do that as a result of this piece of communication mm -hmm. rather than they don't like me, it didn't work, it's not right, they're stupid, they didn't mm -hmm. get it. And all those type of things that we can quite easily use to attribute blame to, to somebody else. Because actually, it'd be really useful if we took more ownership and accountability of a customer's understanding. Yeah. Because it's because it's really easy to say, oh, they just don't get it. They, you know, they. If we're selling tech, maybe the customers are luddite, or mm. you know, if we're selling a complex solution, maybe they just don't can't get their head around how it's going to work. And actually, if we took responsibility for that, we've got to dumb it down. We've got to make it more interesting, more understandable. Mm. And, you know, and pique the curiosity of the customer rather than expecting them to do all the legwork. Just listening to yeah. you talk about the, you know, give me things that you can do rather than things that you can't. Um, I think there's a, there's a real benefit in being slightly obsessed, actually, in the sales world with some of those 
choices of, of language, the choices of words and and eliminating things like can't to create a growth yeah. mindset, to eliminate things like, and you and I have talked about the word try before and how actually uh, yeah. try <laughs> is is giving yourself permission to fail at something. It's, you know, you don't you don't try to sit down onto a chair. You you sit on a chair. <laughs> you, you either do it or you don't do it. Yeah. And and, yeah. and so I think that we, there are some words that we can really just you know do our best at elim- eliminating from our vocabulary. What other words do you mm. think are, are are limiting for for growth and success? Can I ask that just in a second? Because yeah. there was something that when we said about somebody saying no, a customer or anybody will say no when they don't understand. Mm. So if, because the risk is too high and and so there is a fear. So if I don't understand something, I say no because I need to stay safe. So ultimately, you know, the two kind of human drivers, I want to be safe and I want to be happy. And if somebody doesn't understand and it, it could then challenge their psychological safety or their physical safety, then they will say no. So I think that I just wanted to kind of come back and reiterate that, that yeah. point. Yeah. So taking responsibility for making sure the customer does really understand what the benefits of something is and what it could do for them, I think is really, really, really key because it then enables them to be able to say yes if it is the right solution for them. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, sales only works when it's win-win because if it's win-lose, you don't have a long-term relationship and the buying process is so much more sophisticated than it was. And we're not into that kind of 1980s sales. <laughs> we're far more sophisticated than that. And it's about strategic partner- partnering. And so consequently, it needs to be mutual and it needs to be win-win in my mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. If I come back to your words, what other words? So try this one on, David, just for a moment. If you say to yourself, I must get this report finished by lunchtime. What happens internally to yourself when you say, I must do this or I should do that? Yeah, you see, I I think must and should is a bit of a trigger for me personally for two reasons. I think that it build there's a build up of pressure around mm-hmm. time and and probably a fear that I haven't got enough time. So then it becomes a bit of mm. a vicious circle of pressure and fear. Yeah. And the idea that I must or should feels like an instruction that the little me inside wants to rebel against. Right. Cause I don't yeah. like, I don't like being given instructions. So if I feel like I must or I should, that's definitely not something I want to hear. No. And so it's interesting to notice the quality of our self-talk. So do, do you say to yourself, I'm going to choose to get this report done by lunchtime, in which case you feel empowered and in control, or do you say I must and I should, and there's the small part of you that goes, you and which army is going to make me? And it's like, <laughs> hang on, I've just said that to myself. <laughs> and then there's the, well, what happens if you say to your customer, you should do this, you must do this, you ought to do this. They're potentially going to feel resistant to it. And then just in that languaging, it could be enough to tip them away from And when we're looking at, well, what's the difference that makes the difference, it can be one word. Mm. So if I say to somebody, we must make a decision about this today, that's very different than wouldn't it be a a great opportunity if we were to explore how we were going to move forward today? Yeah, yeah. It's like if if we were able to get this done by the end of the day, the probability Mm. of closing that deal could increase. 
It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's putting a benefit statement, I guess, in your self-talk. Yeah. And actually we know about benefit statements in the sales context. Sometimes we've got to sell things to ourselves, and that, and that I guess is, yeah. you know, those empowering beliefs that, that we mm-hmm. are selling stuff to ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. And there is, if you think about leadership, I, I have a view that everybody is a leader because we're leading ourselves through our lives. So the way that we talk to ourselves and the way that we manage ourselves, our our self-management, is critical to our then relationship management in any dynamic that we are with somebody else. If we can manage ourselves and lead ourselves successfully through life, then it becomes so much easier to do that with other people, be that personal, family, business, customers, internal customers, so your colleagues, you know, how do you influence somebody in a meeting? Yeah. But it, for me, the, the techniques are, are all the same and it starts on the inside out for me, leadership. Mm. How, do I, how do I lead myself? How do I manage my thinking so that I'm in a, a peak performance state and I'm not stressed? Because if I'm stressed and anxious and worried about winning this big account, I lose cognitive function. I'm having a biological stress response. The activity goes out of my neocortex and into mm. my amygdala, gets me ready for fight and flight. Mm. You know, thousands mm. of years of biology tell me that that's the thing that, that I need to do. And my IQ will drop by 20 points, which is taking the average IQ at 105 to 85, which is an adult with mild learning difficulties. Wow. So managing our emotional state, mm. <laughs> you know, leading ourselves to be in a, a peak performance state thinking about how we talk to ourselves, thinking about what we choose to believe about ourselves or other people or the situation are are key ingredients for being in that peak performance state so that we've got access to our thinking part of our brain so we can say the right thing at the right time to the customer or to a colleague or to a team member. So I I love this notion that to be a great leader of others, you need to be a great leader of yourself first. And it's just yeah. bot- bottling that and uh, and doing that. So when when some of the people listening to this show are going to be leaders of others, perhaps they've got yeah. a sales team or, or or different other teams throughout the business that they are trying to get the trying to uh, get the yeah, best trying to, uh, yeah. Yeah, trying to <laughs> get get the best out of them and perhaps multiply their success through other people. One of the tools that they're going to use in doing that is going to be coaching their their team. I know you've just finished your second draft of your book, Choose to Be a Coach, and it's going to be all about quick coaching, corridor coaching, if you like. How do you get the best out of your team and 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 support them in realizing their own potential in short interactions for any leaders and managers listening to this now um and they're thinking you know yeah i i coach my team all the time and probably what they're doing is giving their team advice and telling them what they should be doing so perhaps they're more giving instruction and management than they are coaching um but what would your ad- advice be on coaching people for their performance and particularly i guess in today's climate we know that we're probably dealing with our teams remotely at the moment what's mm. your advice around around coaching in today's world for me i think coaching has become even more important in in our new world in our new virtual world because it's the antidote to telling and directing and 
as we have already explored, when somebody tells you to do something, often there's two responses, <laughs> neither of which have you kind of wholeheartedly throw yourself into, into that situation. And because people are managing their own time and their own resources and that need to have people really engaged and moving in cohesive direction towards success, taking everybody with us, I think adopting a, a coaching style is really, really critical because it has people take personal responsibility and accountability. It definitely, definitely is not the soft option. It, coaching is, is tough and it requires courage and compassion and an attitude of curiosity, which says, I haven't got all the answers and maybe just maybe somebody else in my organization has got a better solution or a better answer to, to this than, than I have. And then the people feel empowered and they go off and do it and, and implement it. And so for me, coaching has become really, really critical. And this is why I've designed this, what I've called a be quick coaching model. So it's a mnemonic and it's how do you have a coaching style conversation in seven minutes or less and, and in an informal setting, typically. So on the computer, you know, if we're lucky enough to meet someone for a coffee somewhere, maybe we bump into them in the corridor. So it's an, it's an approach and, a, and an attitude, as well as some really straightforward, quick questions that's just having somebody go, what are you looking to achieve? What have you thought of so far? What could you do about it? What else could you do about it? What are you going to do about it? When should we get back in touch? So it's really straightforward questions mm. rather than, oh, well, in my experience, do this. And, and just listening to those questions there, the, the thing about those questions is that they're really open and clean, right? Mm. The, yeah. the, the danger in question technique is that we can make it quite leading. We can throw our own uh, opinion, yeah. view, perspective into the question. And the, the more open and the cleaner the question is, the better we're going to get out of uh, the coachee in that situation. Yeah. I think there was a study done a few years ago by IBM that said that 91% of the questions that a person asked their manager, they already knew the answer to. Mm. So, you know, nine out of 10 times, somebody comes to, to you as their manager and says, what shall I do about this? They already have got an idea. They already know. They just want a bit of validation. And so if we continuously tell people what we do, the meta message we're setting up is I've got all the answers and you haven't, which ultimately undermines people conf people's confidence. And when we think about a sales environment and that being tenacious and being resilient and being resourceful, we want our salespeople to feel confident, to, have, to know that they're really good at what they do. We don't want them undermined thinking that somebody's got all the answers and they're, they're completely lacking in confidence. So for me, having a coaching style approach really helps build resilience and resourcefulness and that tenacity to, to keep going. Mm. So with the, with the idea that the power is often in the question mm -hmm. in terms of getting uh, someone to open up, that seems like a great moment to segue into one of our regular segments on Camcast, that being the Camcast Killer Question. It's time for the Camcast Killer Question. 
So this is the part of the show where the tables turn, Lisa, and you get to ask a killer question to our listeners. And the idea of the question is that we get them reflecting on ways in which they can empower their sales and account management teams to achieve greater results, or perhaps there's something within their business that they need to reflect on themselves. What would your killer question for our listeners be? Well, I've got a few. So let me think. One of the things that I noticed a lot about people in general, and particularly in times of stress, is that it's really easy to focus on the problem and to to think about what we don't want and what might be hard and what might be difficult. So my killer question would be to have people think about what they really want. And so for me, in any situation, if you were to ask yourself or ask somebody else, what would you like to have happen? That would be my killer question. Nice. And it's so simple. What would you like to have happen? It's too easy to, I guess, turn into a spiral of all the things that aren't working. And it's just Mm. getting people to look in the direction of what they would like rather than what they wouldn't. Yeah. What would you like to have happen? Brilliant. Lisa, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for bringing a wealth of knowledge and understanding around what is essentially a very complex topic, but a complex topic that can really, really accelerate results in business. And, you know, I look forward to hearing more about the book and more about all of the work that you do. If people do want to find out more about you and get in touch, how can they do that? Probably best to email me at lisa at lisabrice.co.uk and I'll be really happy to answer any questions that anybody has. Lisa Bryce, thank you so much for joining us today on Camcast. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you. So a huge thank you to Lisa Bryce, my guest on today's show, helping us to explore the difference that makes the difference when it comes to building rapport and modeling the structure of sales excellence, particularly when it comes to creating personal relationships in an impersonal environment. NLP is a complex topic, rich in value, and hearing Lisa break it down as what we think, what we say, and what we actually do really helps me to understand the power of using it to fast-track results within our businesses. With our core beliefs coming to us as what we say to ourselves in our head, it's easy to see how the quality of the sale can be directly influenced by the quality of our self-talk. And in this digital age of working remotely, Lisa underlined the importance of raising your awareness around the feeling of being in rapport, being connected, being in tune with another, and how to use it as a gauge to build better relationships across video conferences. In the next episode of Camcast, I'll be talking to Grant Leboff from Sticky Marketing about the differences and common divide between sales and marketing and how key account managers should be using their own media channels to add value to their customers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Camcast, a podcast brought to you by camguru.com, one of the UK's leading key account management consulting and training organizations. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate you sharing it with your connections, giving us a review on your chosen podcast app and letting us know what else you'd like to hear in an upcoming episode. You can find the show notes for this episode on the website at camguru.com forward slash podcast.